What's up? I'm B, and whether you're watching this on YouTube or you are listening to the podcast, I hope you are having an amazing day. Today, we are going to be talking about the new documentary on Amazon Prime called Shiny Happy People. And my thought for this video is like, I'm just going to talk about the interesting things from the video or important points from the documentary, I should say, that I want to talk about. I'm not necessarily going episode by episode and giving a recap like I did with the Teal Swan series. However, if that's something you're interested in, let me know. I can, you know, notate the things that happened, important points from each episode, and we can go through it like that. But with this one, I know so many different people have seen it. So I just, like, I watched it. I took a few notes on certain things that came up and I'm like, ah, like, let's just talk about it. So that's what we're going to do. Like I said, if you want an episode by episode recap, definitely let me know and I will make it happen. But for now, we're going to do win for the week and then we will get into it. If you're newer around here, a win for the week is just something good that happened to you this past week or something fun you got to do, something that made you happy or brought you joy. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can leave that in the comment section down below. And if you are listening to the podcast on Spotify, you can leave it in the Q&A section for this particular episode. My win for the week is trying out a new pasta sauce recipe and it turning out delicious. I love pasta. It's one of like my top five favorite foods. And so trying new things with it or finding ways to make it even more delicious is really fun. And so I enjoyed that a lot. That's my win for the week and I cannot wait to hear yours and celebrate with you. Now let's get into my thoughts on shiny happy people. And if you're watching this despite not having seen the documentary or seen it in its entirety, don't worry. If I mention specific things, I will uh, give some necessary context to help you put that information into the correct place. But overall, I thought the documentary was really good. There were some things that I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of, but those don't take away from the fact that I think that this documentary series is really important and it's bringing light to things that not a lot of people are aware of. So the real kind of anchoring point for the docuseries is the Duggar family. And if you are into like fundy snark at all. I'm sure you know who the Duggars are. They're from 19 Kids and Counting. The show initially started out as a special because Discovery was looking for interesting new content to bring to their channel and kind of amp things up and reality TV was becoming really big at the time. And so they found this quiverful family and decided to give them a special and another one and another. And then it turned into a series. And um, a lot of what they talk about is the relation to how the Duggar kids grew up and the things that they believed in and the types of organizations they were involved in and kind of how that relates to what Josh ended up being convicted of. And I guess I should give this warning now. Whenever I talk about things that are a little bit darker on my channel, I don't particularly care about like tailoring the language so it doesn't get flagged or demonetized or whatever. Um, and so there's going to be some pretty frank talk about some pretty upsetting things in this video, particularly uh, sexual abuse, molestation, and child sexual abuse materials. So that's a warning. If that's not something that you want to hear about, or maybe if you've got like kids in the room and they're not of an appropriate age where you think that they should be hearing it, I'm just giving you the warning now. Maybe save the video for another time. But anyway, back to the premise of the documentary. So within it, they are interviewing uh, Jill Dillard, who is Jill Duggar, one of the Duggar daughters, and her husband, Derek. They also have Amy, who is a cousin of the Duggar family, and Deanna, who is Jim Bob's sister. They're all being interviewed, and then they have multiple ex-IBLP members, and we're going to get into IBLP a little bit more later. Um, and they've got a few different professors, pastors, uh, journalists. There's somebody who is um, a professor in sociology. And so I thought that her insight was really interesting. They just have a good variety of people that they're interviewing throughout the series. Eventually, Paul and Morgan do show up. We'll talk about it when we get there. And so they're just kind of exploring IBLP and the 
massive impact it has had on people in the community and how widespread Bill Gothard's teachings are. And let's talk about Bill Gothard for a second because Bill is literally the hemorrhoid within the butthole of Christianity. I can't stand him. Someone compared him to the snake from the Jungle Book, like the way he looks, and I'd say it's pretty spot on. Bill is a menace. I have very strong feelings about Bill, but basically that's what kind of the premises of the docu-series and the things that I do wish were a little bit different. One of the main things was when Jill and Derek were talking and sharing their experiences, I felt like they talked over each other a lot and not in like a, a competitive way or in a bad way. I think Jill is still very new to not being super close with her family because she has distanced herself from them recently. And um, growing up in the type of high control, close-knit environment that she did and being taught to defer to your husband and let him be the leader and he's in charge and you submit to him, when you break away from that, it's not like a clean break. It's not like, oh, I'm good. Like, I'm done. I, I'm not involved in this anymore, so it has no lasting impact on me. I think that that's the dynamic that she's used to having, and he's probably, Derek is probably used to speaking for her in certain situations, not in a malicious way, again. But when they asked her some questions that were a little bit more difficult for her to answer, that's when I wish that they would have maybe gone back, even if they did initially talk over each other, I wish they would have gone back and asked Jill to share her experience or asked her again and had her just actually express what she was feeling for herself, I feel like that would have been kind of helpful because it does make it a little bit confusing to follow certain things when you have each person kind of interjecting their opinion, even if it's a similar opinion or the same concept, it's just a little bit difficult to follow. So I do wish that that had been um, just tweaked a little bit so that way we could really hear more of Jill's perspective. And then another thing that was kind of difficult is because there were so many people, which is amazing. I am so glad that they brought in so many different people and voices and perspectives to um, share their experience. I wish they put their names up on the screen every time they were talking because it was a little bit difficult to be like, okay, and this person said this and I know their face, but what is their name again? I would like to have the name for the face, especially for the ex-IBLP members because they are largely on social media sharing their stories and sharing what had happened to them and doing kind of advocacy against this type of Christianity. And so um, I just, I wish that they would put their names up every time they spoke. Maybe not every time, but just like a little bit more frequently than they did. That would have been helpful. Anyway, overall, I thought the documentary was really good. Um, they covered a lot of things that I think for people who follow the Duggars and are kind of like involved maybe not like believers of their type of Christianity or IBLP, but people who are involved in like that community or in the funding community, stuff like that. A lot of us would probably know, but in the last episode, I learned something new, which was really interesting. And I'm like, I had no idea that that thing even existed. So um, I think it's a good way to kind of bring people in who maybe aren't super familiar with what's going on. For a lot of us who keep up with this kind of thing or keep up with the Duggar family or different religious influencers, we probably know a lot of the information, but this is good info for other people to have if they're just being introduced to this, you know, this type of community or this side of the internet or this side of media. It's important information for them to have. Also, it was very, very cool to see Jen from Fundy Fridays being interviewed because I love her content. I think that she's a great creator in the space. And it's just kind of like, even if you don't know somebody, but you recognize them, you're like, oh, I know them. And so that was exciting to see Jen. So now I kind of want to break it down and talk about things that Jill and Derek said. We're going to talk about Bill Gothard, IBLP, and the ATI. And then we're going to talk about some experiences that were shared by um, ex-IBLP members. Some of the things that stuck out to me that were said by Jill and Derek were that one, 
Neither Jim, Bob, nor Michelle, the parents of the Duggar family, grew up in quiverful families. And grandparents on both sides, you know, Jim, Bob's parents and Michelle's parents, were not in favor of the two of them having an excessive number of kids. It always makes me wonder, like, when someone gets really religious as an adult, what happened? Like, how did you get there? How did you make that decision? You weren't indoctrinated into it as a kid. So why are we going to this extreme? It's always just interesting to me. And then Jill also talked about how she remembers growing up, her dad had like three jobs and they would always go to all the places where kids could eat free and they would stay there for hours. And Jim Bob would like make jokes about how they like cleared out the restaurant. They, you know, they ate so much food and they really packed it away. And that is something that I think we need to continue talking about the amount of money and resources it takes for people who have all of these children is a lot. And it's not something attainable by a lot of people to have all of these children and to live comfortably. Because the Duggars, when they first got on TV, they were in like a teeny little house with two bathrooms for 16, 17 people. I I personally do not think that that is fair to your children. And I'm not saying that you have to be like wealthy to be a good parent or you should have a lot of money if you wanna have kids. But I am saying when you know that you have this limited resource, like you you have this amount of money, this is the amount of money that you're making and you have all these kids already and you know that they're cramped up, multiple kids to a room, two bathrooms in a house and you're choosing to not take precautions to prevent pregnancy. You are actively saying like, if I get pregnant again and it's God's will, then that's amazing. It's not fair to your kids. It's just not to put them in a place where they are forced to take care of the other siblings. They're forced to basically become parents at a young age, especially the girls. They're doing cooking, they're doing cleaning and not just like regular chores. It's an excessive amount. It's not fair to your kids. And that's what I talked about with the Collins family. They say, you know, if you believe in God and you trust him with your family size, then the resources will come. Great. I, I think it's it's wonderful to have faith and to believe that, you know, God's going to take care of you. God will provide. I, I don't think there's necessarily an issue with that opinion at a base level. But when you're saying like, I can have as many kids as I want because other people are going to give us money or we're going to take advantage of different uh, resources or charities or whatever. We're going to do whatever we can to get as much money as we can. A lot of people aren't going to be in the Duggar position where they get picked up by Discovery and then TLC and they have this this show and this massive support and Jim Bob's getting a paycheck or multiple thousands of dollars. That's not going to happen to the majority of people. The majority of people are going to be barely scraping by and still continuing to have kids because they're being told that that's what God wants. Speaking of money, Jill said none of the kids got paid for being on the show. Jim Bob was the one who got paid for everything. Like Jill grew up, got married, had a kid on camera, like all of this stuff on TV and she didn't get paid for it. She didn't get compensated for it. You could at least be compensated for your exploitation. Like, I I don't know why I would have expected that like Jim Bob would have, you know, put this money in trusts for his kids or put it away as like their salary. Like, I don't know why I thought he would, but I guess I just kind of assumed that because of like child labor laws and it being on national television, there would be some kind of stipulation where the kids have to be compensated, but nope, I guess not. And something especially heinous is that back in 2015 was when um, there was the report when people found out that Josh had been molesting his sisters years ago, like not actively as far as we know, but when people found out that back, I think in like 2005, he had you know, confessed to his dad, they'd gone to a state trooper to talk about it, you know, Josh got a stern talking to, and then it was basically covered up. In 2015, when that came out, and they stopped doing 19 kids and counting, they got Jill and Jessa counting on a show literally named after Jill and Jessa. They were not getting paid. Like, the show was literally named after you, you are doing this because 
you're, you're basically being forced to buy a contract that was signed essentially by your parents on your behalf and you're not getting paid. And you were, Jill was one of the victims and Jessa was one of the victims of Josh's molestation. Like that's nuts to me. And apparently Derek did talk to Jim Bob about it, about how they, they were not being paid and they were adults filming this. Like they were full grown adults living on their own, doing this as a job and not getting paid. And so Derek had talked to Jim Bob about it and apparently he offered them what was the equivalent of like $10 per hour to, to do this, to work, despite making multiple thousands of dollars per episode. And Derek did also say that eventually Jim Bob offered a lump sum of cash to some of the older kids. But in order to receive that lump sum, they would have to sign another contract. Another less than favorable contract to continue being exploited. Additionally, back in 2015, Jill and Jessa did an interview with Megan Kelly where they basically had to go on and say like they wish nobody, I mean, I'm sure they do wish that no one had ever found out about this, but they go on and they say that they wish no one had ever found out about this. They've worked through it as a family. They've forgiven Josh. They're not angry at him. Like basically doing PR for the creep, the molester, like the criminal, um, going going on national television in defense of their brother who had victimized them and in talking about it in shiny happy people Derek basically called it a suicide mission and I think that that's accurate Jill basically says that she felt she had to do it she didn't think she had a choice on whether or not to go do this interview and she said that she felt like she had to do it in order to save the show and even if it didn't save the show she had to do it for the sake of her parents and something that really just sticks out to me is how uh, frequently she reiterates that she wishes no one had ever found out about this. This being Josh molesting her. And I, I get it. Like, I can't imagine, especially coming from the environment that they came from, where if you get assaulted, it's your fault. If you like are touched inappropriately, what did you do? What's the weakness in you that would cause somebody to do that to you? And how quickly can you forgive that person? Because it really wasn't on them. It was because you did something to provoke that. And so I'm sure that not only when something like this happens, I think the victims feel shame, even though it's, it's not like they should not feel shameful. They should not feel like they did anything wrong. I think that is a common response to feel shame about something like that happening to you. But then when you add just the layer of how they grew up, it makes it even worse. It makes it feel like now I have to go on TV and I have to talk about how um, like it's not Josh's fault. We forgive him. We're not angry. And she probably feels like she's being exposed for her having done something wrong that caused him to molest her. Because again, that's basically what's taught in IBLP curriculum. So while I understand Jill not wanting anyone to know about it and wishing that nobody had ever found out, I do think that overall that being exposed forged a path to even more being exposed and some really important conversations happening and um, the abuse that IBLP teaches coming to light, like I think that overall we wouldn't necessarily be having a lot of these conversations if it didn't come out. I do understand that from her perspective, this was one of the hardest things she's ever been through. And she did just want to say like, okay, we talked about it. It's done. I don't have to keep talking about it. I understand why she still might wish that this had never come out because of how personally painful it was to her. And I commend her immensely for despite feeling like that, getting on camera and talking about it and telling her story and showing up, being brave and talking about what happened as hard and difficult and painful as I know it must be for her. Now, let's talk a little bit more about Bill Gothard and the IBLP. The IBLP stands for the Institute in Basic Life Principles, and 
for some reason, those words just don't flow well together for me. So every time I say the Institute in Basic Life Principles, I think I'm saying it wrong. But for a fact, like I know that that's what it's called. And the IBLP is basically this organization that hosts conferences, classes, trainings. They have this like basically militia academy where young boys go and they do like military training uh, in the name of the Lord. They also have homeschooling curriculum and that is called the Advanced Training Institute. And if you ever saw the Duggars doing wisdom booklets, that's from ATI. And they have these like training centers all over the world. And so it's kind of hard to conceptualize because IBLP isn't necessarily a church. It's just kind of like an organization that you belong to on a higher level. And um, it's massive. They got a lot of resources and they have done a lot of damage. Something incredibly wild to me about this homeschool curriculum is that they basically promised everybody who used it, once you go through this entire curriculum, you're going to have the equivalent of a pre-law degree and a pre-med degree. So we hear that. We hear like, oh, it's the most amazing curriculum. You're going to come out of it so equipped for life. You're just going to be like the smartest person in the world. And then we also hear Chad Harris, who is an ex-IBLP member and was homeschooled, talk about how he had a friend who didn't learn any math outside of fractions because her dad said, you use fractions in baking. So that's good enough. Like she didn't learn any other math other than what her dad presumed she would need to, to be baking, to be a homemaker, because what else, what else should a woman do? You don't step outside from your umbrella. And if you don't know what the umbrellas are, one of the teachings in basic life principles or in I, the Institute of basic life principles, IBLP is that we live under an umbrella of protection there's God, there's like Bill Gothard, there's the father, there's the mother, and there's the kids. And so everyone has to be in their specific particular place. And if someone steps outside from under the protection of the umbrella, that's when Satan comes for you. So like, <laughs> you have this poor girl growing up not knowing any math other than fractions. Because that's what she needs for baking. So that's the only math that she needs. And um, the ATI curriculum is now defunct and the wisdom booklets are being sold basically as Bible study materials, not school curriculum. There are all kinds of issues with Bill Gothard, IBLP, the ATI, all of that, that like I could in theory cover it for hours. I'm trying not to make this like an hours long video, but just know that this is not a good organization. This is not a healthy organization. This kind of organization is a feeding ground for predators. And it basically teaches boys who grow up in it that they are like little boy princes and they can do whatever they want. And everyone has to follow rules. Everyone has to have this moral code and this moral compass and they have to behave in a certain way. But if you do something bad, Maybe you're going to get like a slap on the wrist. Maybe you're going to get sent to go dig out a pond like they did with Josh Duggar because when um, he confessed to his dad, they shamed him by sending him to go hand dig a pond. They like, first of all, let's backtrack a little bit because they made Josh like get up and confess in front of the church what had happened. And instead of saying that he molested his sisters and a babysitter, they had said that he was looking at pornography. And yes, like part of that is true, but that's not the greatest defense. Like that, that's not the thing that we care about. While I don't think it's healthy for children to watch porn, I understand the curiosity. And if we're going to compare a child or, you know, a 15 year old roughly looking at porn to him molesting people in real life, I think one of those is the bigger issue and it's not the porn. But anyway, Josh is publicly shamed for looking at pornography and sent away to do manual labor. They shave his head. He has to hand dig a pawn. He has to go to another uh, like labor camp basically associated with the IBLP to learn his lesson. And then he comes back and that's it. Like, that's fine. We brush everything else under the rug. We don't have to talk about it. We don't need to like put Josh in therapy to figure out why he would feel the need to 
do this or anything like that. We just brush it under the rug. And so it teaches men that they can do whatever they want. And it teaches women that whatever the man wants is right because he's above you. He's your protector. He's, you know, his umbrella is bigger than yours. And so you just have to defer to him. And it's not healthy. Like this, this thought process is absolutely not conducive to healthy, happy, stable relationships. My goodness, this whole thing is so dark. Like there are certain things that come out that are just like ridiculous that make you wonder how anybody takes it seriously. But then hearing those things makes you realize how sinister Bill Gothard's teachings are. For example, Bill Gothard said that the creator of Cabbage Patch Dolls was a warlock who cursed each one of them as they came off of the assembly line so they were not allowed to have Cabbage Patch Dolls. And at one point, the Duggars burned everything worldly that was in their home, including Disney movies. You hear that and it's like, that's ridiculous. This guy's a goon. He's teaching these things. What a foolish person. But people who are in IBLP believe him. They revere him. They look up to him and they follow his teachings and the teachings of all of the pastors associated with the IBLP. It, it's so dark to, to think about an adult, an adult person hearing the creator of Cabbage Patch Dolls was a warlock. And instead of like laughing at that person and being like, you don't know what you're talking about. They say, oh my God, I, I have to make sure that I don't have any of the, any of these cursed things in my home. It's truly scary to think about. Clearly and obviously a part of being in the IBLP is, um, you know, a purity culture and making sure that women don't tempt the men and something just absolutely ridiculous that kids growing up in IBLP had to do was spot eye traps. And so basically they would be presented with pictures of like, like drawings of women's clothing and like the silhouettes of the clothing and certain details. Like if there was lace at the top or if someone had a mid-calf skirt that had like a slit up to the knee, they would have to look at that picture and circle the eye trap and be like, mm, that's the thing that's not okay. That's something that's not okay. They're like, one of, um, I think it was Brooke, she was like, instead of learning like science, reading, writing, we're learning how to slut shame. We're, we're literally, that, that's our school. That's our curriculum. It's so funny because in the documentary, obviously they talked about it, but that's not the first time I'd heard of them doing it. I've known about the eye traps for a few years now. And still, every time I talk about it, I, I struggle to conceptualize that this is a thing that people spent their time doing, that this is something that people are like, this is, an, this is an important thing to learn. We have to learn how to spot the eye traps so that we can appropriately avoid and or shame the person depending on who's doing it. And of course, we can't talk about this set of beliefs or this organization without talking about the physical punishments that are used in order to get children to be subservient to their parents to essentially break their will because that's that's kind of what it takes. That's kind of a pretty heavy focus in IBLP is having children who immediately obey to the Holy Spirit's prompting. Like, I don't even know that phrase, but they use that phrase a lot. There's a clip in the documentary series of Josie, I think, one of the Duggar kids. She can't be older than three. And she's reciting it and she's like, smacking her hand like that. It's like immediate obedience to the initial prompting of God's will, I think is what the phrase is. And she's a little kid. Like <laughs> what little kid speaks like that? I know that children learn language and how to speak in mannerisms and stuff like that, like certain to a certain extent mannerisms um, from their parents and from the environment that they're in. That's how they learn to use the language that is spoken around them. So obviously she didn't just pick that up on her own, but it's scary that that's something that she not only picked up, but was taught to say because Michelle was having her perform that phrase for a camera. 
There was also a clip where Pastor Bill Ligon, I don't know how you pronounce his last name, it's L-I-G-O-N, so Ligon, Ligon, whatever, is at an IBLP conference and he asks someone to loan him a little boy so he can demonstrate how to appropriately spank a child. So somebody lets their kid go up on stage and he's, he, you know, what's it called? I'm so frustrated. <laughs> he bends this kid over his knee and he doesn't actually like hit him, thank God, but he's, you know, showing how you spank him on the butt and you say things like, I am really disappointed in you. Daddy is really disappointed in what you did, but daddy loves you. So daddy needs to teach you that that's not an okay way to behave. I am doing this because I love you. And then he stands the boy up and he says, so you understand why you had to get spanked. Why don't you give daddy a hug? And the little kid, he explains to him like, I'm pretending to be your daddy in this situation. So the kid gives him a hug and he goes, oh, daddy didn't feel like your full spirit was in that. Okay, time to do it again. And he's spanking the kid again for not give, like not actually spanking, again, demonstrating spanking a child for not giving you a forceful enough hug. And then he stands the kid back up. He says, let's try it again. Can daddy have a hug? And the kid lunges at him and gives him a big hug. But it's like, yeah, of course he did. <laughs> You're sitting here spanking him demonstrating in a demonstration on stage for not giving you a big hug before. So a kid is going to be like, oh shoot, okay, we're going to, I got physical pain last time for not doing this. So now I'm going to do it. And again, that he was not actually physically spanking the kid. But when we translate it to what happens at home, you teach somebody, you don't do something, you're going to get hit. Logically, most kids, next time you ask them to do that thing, are going to do it to avoid getting hit. And that is how you break the will of children in these fundamentalist homes, in these quiverful homes. Additionally, while we're on the topic of spanking, something absolutely disgusting to me is that Michelle called spanking encouragement. And so, like, Amy, the cousin, kind of did the did the Michelle voice because, obviously, when women are encouraged to be meek, and quiet and sweet. It reminds me of um, the FLDS documentary, Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey. You know, keep sweet, even though it's a different belief system. A lot of like the social and gender norms are, you know, they overlap. So women are taught to be sweet. And so they describe Michelle talking to her children and saying, do we need to go and have some encouragement when she was threatening to take them and spank them? Awful, creepy, confusing. Like, <laughs> do a child knowing what the word encouragement means and then being taught that you physically being hurt is the equivalent of encouragement? I can't imagine, like, the mental gymnastics that go on day in and day out in households like that. I have a lot more to go over, but somewhat ironically, I do have to pause filming right now to go to church. So I'll be back. There'll be a cut, but we got a lot more to go. And I do just want to point this out because I get a lot of comments of people saying that like, I'm not a real Christian or I hate religion or I'm trying to like besmirch the name of Christ and, and tear down Christians and all of that. But it's like, talk about this stuff because I care about it. I talk about it because I grew up religious. I am religious. Like I am a Christian and it bothers me when people use Christianity to hurt other people or to scam other people or for their own selfish desires to get the things that they want in an unethical way. It bugs the heck out of me. And so that is why I talk about it. So yeah. I'm going to pause filming right now to go to church. I am very interested to see uh, what we learned this week. We're on a series on how to read the Bible, basically how to put things in context and understand at what point in history certain things were happening. And so last week they did like a timeline of um, like certain things that happened in the Old Testament and what else was going on in the world at that time. And uh, I liked it a lot. Like that's right up my alley. If you watch my channel, if you know my interests, you know that I was very much into that. So yeah, it was very interesting and I am excited to see what we learned this week and I'll be literally right back. And just like that, I am back. I am done at church. 
It was really good. My aunt is actually in town. So my mom, my dad, my aunt, my brother all drove across town to come to church with Rick and myself. And the message was really cool. This is just kind of like a side note. But like I talked about in the last clip, they're doing a series on kind of like how to read the Bible and what you need to know in order to understand it. And they put up this graphic on the screen that color coded the books of the Bible telling you whether it's poetry, whether it's history, whether it's prophecy, whether it's a gospel, whether it's an epistle, stuff like that. And so um, I'd never seen the books of the Bible like organized like that before and it was really cool. Anyway, I am back to finish out the video and in this section I just want to talk about certain stories that were shared by XIBLP members that were featured in the documentary. So if you watched the series, you know that there were a lot of people included in this documentary who were ex-IBLP and they shared a lot of stories. So I'm not going to go over everything that every person shared, but these are just a few things that were said throughout the series that stuck out to me. A lot of this docu-series obviously centered around Josh Duggar and all of the allegations against him, the things that he has done in his past his arrest, the investigation into his possession of CSAM. And one thing that stuck out to me, because hearing it should be shocking, but knowing what we're talking about and the kind of environment we're talking about and just kind of how things happen in the world, um, it, it should have been shocking to hear it, but it wasn't shocking to hear it. And that was that an, an ex-member of the IVLP said that when the allegations came out about Josh, it was like no one in their circle was surprised because brothers abused their sisters. Like, oh, okay. We're just not surprised. We've come to expect it. And hearing that out loud sounds so ridiculous, but literally, like, I wasn't surprised. I don't know about you. Like, we, we hear these things and we're like, oh my God, that's awful. But truly in our hearts, we're not necessarily surprised because people do bad stuff like this all the time. And especially when you are in an environment where abuse is not only allowed, but like covered up for you, that's what happens. You know, with Josh and his sisters, Jim Bob took him to a state trooper to talk about what had happened and, you know, so he could get that stern talking to. And the state trooper who didn't do anything about it, and part of it was because the statute of limitations had expired, but still, like, he wasn't really vested in anything happening to Josh to make him accountable for his actions. That guy's in prison now. Oh my gosh. I don't know if you can relate to this, but as somebody who looks in to just like a lot of different things. I constantly have pieces of knowledge just rattling around in my brain and in my head, I'm like, I know this thing is true. But then when you tell when you go to like talk to somebody about it or you go to say it to someone, you think, let me make sure that that's true because I feel like I know it. I like it's in it's in my brain. It's in there. I know it's true. But Brains are fallible. So let me just double check. I was looking up the charges that were leveled against Joseph Hutchins, the former state trooper who gave that stern talking to to Josh Duggar. I was double checking what they were. Yes, it was possession of child sexual abuse materials. And he's been released last year. As of last year, he's, he's not serving a prison sentence. So I knew what he'd gotten arrested for, knew that part, didn't know that he was out on parole. This is nuts. Listen to this article from The Sun. It says, quote, Hutchins, then 69, was convicted and sentenced in 2007 on child pornography charges, but released on parole in 2010. In sickening details, it emerged he had pornographic photos of one of his own relatives on camera. Soon after he was released, he was arrested again and charged with another child porn offense. He was given a 60-year sentence, but a document obtained by The Sun showed he was approved for parole this week. Is it any surprise that abuse continues to happen? Like, this guy was literally put in jail for CSAM and he was released. And oh, oh my gosh, he did the same thing again. I am all for the idea that like doing something bad doesn't mean you're a bad person. And maybe you were just in a bad circumstance or you would, you know, 
need to be rehabilitated. You need to reevaluate your life and what matters. And then in the future, you can make better decisions. All of that. I'm, I'm okay with that as a concept for certain crimes. For stuff like this, for stuff where you are actively getting off on the abuse and torture of someone else, because that's what it is. And recently there's been a change, um, like a kind of a movement of changing from saying child pornography to child sexual abuse materials, specifically for the reason that, you know, pornography can be consensual. If it's with a child, it can't be. It's not a consensual act. A child is not saying, yes, I, I consent to being in this pornographic film or in these photos or having these acts done to me because they can't because they're children. And so I'm glad that we're moving to label it more accurately with saying CSAM. But truly, like somebody who gets off on that, what do you do to fix it? Like, I, I don't know, but I do know that I'm not surprised that he reoffended. And I think, and he, he's released again, he's out on parole. So if we look at the pattern of behavior, what is likely to happen again? That just made me so angry. Once I get distracted by something like this, like I have to continue to look into it. I can't just be like, oh, he was released. Okay, moving on. This is an article from the Huffington Post where it says Hutchins now claims the elder Duggar did not tell him the whole story in a prison interview reported by In Touch. Hutchins said that both Jim Bob and Josh told him that Josh had molested only one victim. Hutchins added that he regrets his actions or lack thereof. I did what I thought was right and obviously it wasn't, he said. If I had to do it over again, I would have told him immediately that I'm going to call the hotline and contact the trooper that worked those cases and have a full report made. I thought I could handle it myself. Bro, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> like that's no, you you wouldn't have done that. You literally wouldn't have done that because you're saying this during an interview that's being conducted while you're in prison. We live in the twilight zone, I swear. All right, well, back to the point that I was trying to make about certain stories that were shared by ex-members who were interviewed in this docu-series. There's a couple, Floyd and Tara, and one of the things that Floyd said was that when he was 12, his father was convicted of sexual assault of a minor, and other people within IBLP had encouraged his mother to stay with his father at the time and bring him back into the home. And so the whole point of going into the state trooper and Josh and, and the conversation I was trying to have is that, like, in in this type of environment, in the IBLP, abuse is allowed to happen. And the craziest thing is that people know about it. Like people know these things are happening and instead of trying to stop it from happening or make a positive change, instead they're gonna tell this guy's mom, like forgive him, let him back in the home after he was convicted of sexual assault of a minor. And she has a minor child at the time. Another just awful, awful story that has really made an impact on me was told by an ex-IBLP member named Tia and she had talked about how she you know quote unquote remained pure until her wedding night and then on her wedding night she was raped multiple times by her husband and that was just the start of an incredibly abusive marriage and an abusive life. She goes on to talk about how pretty regularly um, she would be spanked as punishment by her husband and this could be from like any wide variety of things that she apparently did wrong or since she committed against him but one example she gave was for forgetting to say yes sir to him would result in a spanking and then um tia did thank god eventually leave like she she fled the house because there was one day where he followed her around the house for four hours, threatening to bludgeon her to death. And then apparently he said, I'm out of here. And she said that like something in her head just clicked. Like there was a voice that said, you need to go. So she grabbed her kids, she got in the car and she fled. And apparently he had been going into his office to get a gun. 
when he said, I'm out of here. That's such a terrifying, terrifying situation. And Tia does say that like she knows for a fact she would be dead if she hadn't fled in that moment. Another story, which comes from Chad, who is an ex-IVLP member, and he recently did an Ask Me Anything on Reddit, and I'll link it in the description box, was at one point in his childhood, he said his mother took him into a bathroom at church and beat him mercilessly for about an hour in order to break his will. And apparently one of their family friends was witness to this and she you know told his mom oh that whole time you were doing that I was just thinking I wish she would stop beating that sweet boy and his mom said yeah well that's what I had to do in order to break his will and this incident is shared as like a funny family story at which everyone laughs except obviously for Chad because he was beaten for an hour in order to literally break his will. Can you imagine that? Can you, I mean, all of this is horrific. All of this is just awful. And I can't, I can't fathom what it's like to grow up in an environment of such high control and shame and abuse and feeling like everything you're doing is wrong. Everything you think about is wrong. How you are is bad and you don't have autonomy over your body and you need to defer everything to somebody above you like that's all just a lot to handle but the mind torture of getting beaten and explicitly being told that this is to break your will And yet we see so often when someone's in an abusive situation, people will dismissively be like, well, why don't you just leave? Because it's not as easy as just leaving. It's not as easy as just being like, well, I don't want to be here anymore, so I'm going to go. Like, bye. Think about, think about Jill, Jill Dillard of the Duggar family who's been on TV for years and years and years and hasn't earned a paycheck for that who's like not allowed to work outside of the home, who basically is a homemaker in training until she is married and then she is a full-fledged homemaker. People who are not given life skills to exist in a world where they are not in their fundamentalist Christian roles, stepping outside of that is an incredibly daunting task. And so for everybody who did step out, for everybody who did Find a way to make it work. Despite this homeschooled education, a world where you're going to school and learning eye traps instead of getting the basic education that you might need in order to get an associate's degree or like the, the confidence and social skills to go out and find a job or go to trade school or whatever it may be. The people who are able and willing and take on the incredibly daunting task of stepping away from that. I just have so much respect for those people and I think they are incredibly brave. And I hope that by showing up here and by agreeing to be on this documentary, somehow the word of this gets to more and more people who are ingrained in that culture and who, you know, it's it's hard to say like, I hope they see the video or I hope they see the docuseries because typically they're not allowed to, like they wouldn't be allowed to watch stuff like that. People burned their Disney DVDs and so they, they might not be able to watch the documentary. But I hope that by having these conversations more and more, organizations who help people get out get more attention and get more support organizations like recovering grace who spread awareness i hope that they get more attention and more support and slowly but surely word gets out that like people have left and they are okay and in some cases like even though they're still recovering and they're still figuring out life outside of this they are safe and they are happy and things are better and they might not be immediately better because it's it's tough to like blow up your life and, and everything you've known and be okay, but eventually it does get better. All right, I have two more things to talk about and then I will close this video out. This next piece of information was something that completely threw me off because I had never heard of it before and it shows you just how far the teachings of the IBLP and organizations like it have spread. 
throughout the docuseries, they do show us that there's multiple IVLP training centers and that, you know, with the influence of the Duggars being on TV, there was a lot more money coming in, a lot more attention. And of course, there's other fundamentalist organizations and training programs and camps and stuff like that that aren't necessarily directly associated with the IBLP that exist everywhere. There, there was a man who they interviewed. His name is Alex Harris, and he is a former Joshua Generation movement leader as well as a former law clerk for Anthony Kennedy, who was a Supreme Court justice for the United States Supreme Court. And I'd never heard of the Joshua Generation movement. Like this was my first introduction into it. So I know that like I have a long night ahead of me of looking into this because I'm horrified and fascinated by this concept. Alex said, quote, the Joshua generation is one of the most ambitious plots of modern evangelical history, and almost no one has ever heard of it. It's a decades-long, multi-generational plan to raise up an elite strike force of Christian homeschooled graduates to infiltrate the highest levels of government, end quote. What? And so many people who are involved in the Joshua generation movement do that. Like, they, they, they get internships, they become law clerks, they go to law school, and they are doing what what this program intends and one of the people who is a member or maybe a former member at this point I don't know of the Joshua Generation movement was Madison Cawthorn yeah Madison Cawthorn and if that name doesn't ring a bell to you or you're like that like that means nothing to me I don't live in the United States or I don't keep up with politics Madison Cawthorn was a member of the House of Representatives who has been accused of sexual assault and sexual misconduct. He was caught driving on a revoked license. He brought an unloaded handgun to an airport and tried to take it in in a carry-on. If you're traveling with a gun, it has to be like off you in a locked case in a suitcase in checked luggage. You can't just carry a handgun even though it's unloaded onto an airplane. He tried to take an unloaded gun onto an airplane in a carry-on bag and also he's been accused of insider trading. That Madison Cawthorn was a member of the Joshua Generation movement. I tell you, there was not much that made me be like, wait, what? In this documentary? But that that threw me off. And, and like I said, now I have a lot of Googling to do. I honestly would love to see a follow-up or like a part two of Shiny Happy People where they go further into this because they did not spend a lot of time on it. And I have a lot of questions. So content suggestion for Amazon Prime. Focus more on the Joshua Generation movement and like tell me who, who currently in government is a member of this. I would love to know. So after Alex drops this absolute bomb on us, the docuseries goes on to talk about how Christian like fundamentalist organizations are not just worried about right now. They're not saying like, let's change a law right now to instill more Christian values in the nation. They do like they lobby, they support politicians, you know, Jim Bob Tucker ran for the senator of Arkansas while Josh was on trial. So like they do those things, but that's not the main focus. The main focus is playing the long game and making sure they're looking forward for generations to come. And then they talk about the rise of Christian social media influencers. And this part, I was kind of, it, you know, the, the whole docuseries is pretty dark, but in this particular part of the docuseries, it's like, oh, oh, look at that, look at that. They show a montage of all of these Christian social media influencers like Paul and Morgan, Jill Rodriguez, Nate and Sutton, um, Mrs. Midwest, Emma Mae Jenkins, and a few others that I hadn't personally seen yet. And so this part was incredibly brief and truly I was expecting it to be a bigger part of the docu-series. And I guess it's just because, like, I do follow the Fundy Snark Uncensored subreddit and, like, they talked a lot about it and, you know, Paul and Morgan's specific appearance as well as Paul and Morgan's reaction to them being in it. And so I thought this was going to be a much larger part of this, but it was just a teeny tiny little piece. Like, it was quick. They did the little, you know, the, the montage of the YouTube. Oh, and Girl Defined! Our, our very own Bethany and Kristen. 
they were the clips of them were like featured in this montage but so anyway they're included in the montage and then the only social media influencers on the christian side that they bring in to talk about this concept christianity relationships stuff like that is paul and morgan and they're on there for like two minutes maybe maybe if if that because they're it, they do show quite a few clips from Paul and Morgan where they're saying, you know, they're spouting conservative fundamentalist talking points about how, you know, you don't come out being gay. You wouldn't come out being a thief, would you? It's not something that you are. It's not how you were designed by God. And then you can't be a they them people pick one. <laughs> Sorry, that's like, that's my Morgan impression without trying to yell. So they show clips of, of them saying stuff like that. And then they get Paul and Morgan on and obviously they were filming for longer than this. This isn't the only footage that the filmmakers have, I'm sure, but all they show in the docuseries is them asking what the role of a wife is in a marriage and Morgan says that it's to submit to your husband. And like, that's it. <laughs> like that, that's really all we get. But something that was super interesting to me is that Paul didn't really talk a lot. And of course, neither of them talked a lot. It was a very brief appearance. But throughout what they've showed, even in the clips that they were showing, Paul, they didn't show a lot of Paul talking. And in the interview, Paul didn't answer the question. Morgan answered the question. And the way that she answered it sounded like she was so unsure of her answer. Despite the fact that they have built their entire social media presence on this concept, on the concept of a quote unquote traditional marriage and wives submitting to your husband, like they talk about that all the time. And so for her to sound so unsure, I'm like, what are you doing? This is your one shot more like this is your chance, Morgan. Here you are. If you believe in this, if you stand 10 toes down on the idea that the role of you, your role in life is to submit to Paul. Why are you answering it like you're asking a question with the tone of not being sure of what you're saying? It's your chance to say, this is what I believe, this is who I am. Why do you sound so unsure? Anyway, I do know that Paul and Morgan did a video talking about their experience filming this, and so I will definitely be taking a look at that, and maybe I'll do a reaction, maybe I'll just include some clips. It's a pretty lengthy, live stream I think it was it's like 40 minutes so um I'll, I'll definitely take a look at that and talk about what they say because I'm sure uh, clearly they're not going to bring Paul and Morgan in and like set up all this film equipment just to film them for two minutes I logically there has to have been a lot that they cut out but I did see a post where they were talking about how they were totally misled about what the premise of the docuseries was going to be and it seemed like in their post, they were saying that this docuseries was demonizing Christianity, but it wasn't. It's not demonizing Christianity. It's, it's discussing the dangers and the harmful nature of extreme beliefs, of the extremism of fundamentalist Christianity and how dark it can get. And with Paul and Morgan recently doing a video talking about how they felt that their charismatic church that they were going to was getting too extreme and how there are red flags to look for and why they decided to distance themselves a little bit from charismatic Christianity, I would think that they would be all for this. Why are you continually talking negatively about a docuseries that is exposing abuse? and giving survivors a chance to speak. I, I understand if she feels like they were not portrayed in the best way possible, and maybe I'll, I'll have more insight and I'll be like, okay, I see where they're coming from after I watch their video. I'm not convinced I will, but like I'm totally open to that. They could say something in there or share some information that makes me be like, oh, okay, that's why you're so angry. Like I get it. But 
in the meantime, for those who haven't watched that video and people who are just following you on social media, it looks like you are just absolutely vilifying a docu-series that uplifts survivors and shares their stories because you didn't like how you were portrayed. And honestly, the way you were portrayed in that is like the same way that you portray yourselves every single week on your YouTube channel. So, so far, that's my opinion. Again, it could change, but that's just how I feel about it right now. Now, with all that having been said, there is one more story that I want to talk about before I close the video out. In 2014, more than 30 people came forward to accuse Bill Gothard of sexual misconduct and sexual harassment. Bill Gothard, of course, being the founder of the IBLP and the face of it, Bill Gothard was not convicted of these claims. However, he was placed on administrative leave and eventually just basically kind of shunned, like pushed out of the organization because they figured, hey, well, this isn't a good look for us. So once Bill Gothard was no longer useful to the IBLP at large, he got kicked to the curb. And so Brooke, who is a former IBLP member, said that at one point, you know, after these allegations had came out, she was in Chicago and she thought, what if I just stopped by? Like, what if I called him and I set up a meeting and I just, I went to go see him. And at this point, she was not actively involved. I don't know exactly if she had completely left or if she was just having doubts. They don't particularly go into it. But regardless, at this point, she's not like gung-ho for IBLP to say the least. And she ends up getting Bill's phone number. She calls him, sets up a meeting, and she goes to his house. And she said that Bill had greeted her at the door in a full suit, hair done, like dressed up, ready to go, ready to you know put on a show for her. She goes into his house and his living room is absolutely just covered in boxes of Bill's self-published books, just copies and copies all over. And he says that he wants to pray for her. So they sit down across from each other. They both bow their heads. He's praying. And she says that at some point, like during this prayer, she's like, I don't even believe in this anymore. Why am I pretending? Like, why am I putting on this show for him? And so she opens her eyes and looks up and Bill is staring at her. Eyes open, staring at her, saying this prayer. And she said it was like looking the devil in the eye. And she does go on to say that having that experience made her really come to terms with the fact that Bill Gothard's just a man. Like he's just another guy. He doesn't have to loom over her life in the way that he presumably had been up until that point. But just thinking about that scene on a larger scale, this is somebody who for decades has been on stage, has been adored, has been given praise and looked up to and revered and people listened to him and he thought he was real important. And I guess for a while he was like, you know, he, he was able to build a lot and have a very large impact on a massive number of people. But it was, it was easy for those people, that organization that he built, it was easy for them to kick him to the curb when having him as the head of this ship no longer served them. He's just a guy. He's just a dude. But so for him to go from, you know, this guy, this big important guy who he was to standing in his living room alone in a full suit ready to put on a show is just an immense fall from grace. And the last thought that I want to leave you with is this. Bill Gothard spent a lot of time talking about how families should operate, how wives and husbands should interact and treat each other and who does what and who has this role and here's how you parent your kids and here's how you raise up healthy Christ-centered children ready to go to war for the Lord. Bill Gothard was never married and from what we know at least doesn't have any kids. He made not only a career but an entire movement out of something that he ostensibly knows nothing about. And somehow he was believable enough that people listened. 
that reality is going to stick with me for a long time. But that's it. Those are my thoughts on the documentary, Shiny Happy People. Those are the things that I felt were the biggest takeaways from it. And if you've watched it, I would love to hear your thoughts down below. And if you didn't watch it and you just, you know, watched my video, let me know what you think. Let me know if you think you're going to go on to watch the series or if you do want to hear more about it, because I am definitely willing to keep talking about it if it's something that you want to hear more about. So again, leave those thoughts in my comment section if you're watching on YouTube. And if you are listening to the podcast, you can leave it um, any thoughts that you have on this video or the series in the Q&A section for this specific episode. And while you're doing that, if you would consider liking this video or subscribing to my channel or leaving a rating and review on the podcast. That would be incredible if you've done any of those things already. Thank you so much. I am so appreciative of you. I was looking at the reviews on Apple and Spotify and it's really cool to see those grow. Thank you so much if you left one. Like genuinely, it does mean a lot and it does help the podcast, but just seeing that these podcast episodes are valuable and you enjoy them that means a lot. Like that's, that's really cool. I did just start doing the podcast recently. And so, um, knowing that it's like, it's a choice that I am making and something that I am doing that is providing value is pretty cool, even though it's a newer avenue for me. So again, like genuinely, thank you for leaving a rating or a review. And with all that being said, I'm going to go ahead and let you go. Thank you so much for watching or listening. Please be kind to people and I will see you in the next one. Bye.